Welcome to PAX Day 3, PAX Unplugged Day 3. I am standing here with Stephen Dewey, the creator of Tin Candles. Hello. Hi, thanks for taking time to talk with me. Yeah, of course. How has the convention been for you? Pretty good. This year, I think, is a little slower for some reason. I don't really know why, but the people that are here have more than enough energy to make up for it, so it hasn't really bothered us. Awesome. Well... I let you know before we started talking, but we just dropped a podcast where we were talking about type two fun. Okay. Um, and so like yes. type two, one fun, having just fun for fun. And sure. then of course, 10 candles got thrown in the mix with the type two fun of like, this is really fun, but also like very impactful. And like, uh, Richie Buzzkill, our, our lead was like, I had to go home and hug my wife after, <laughs> after yep. creating yes. the game. So, <laughs> Talk with us a little bit about like what the creation process was like for you and, and coming up with 10 candles and um, like how you got to this like type two fun game. Yeah, well, so I have a background in professional theater and live action role playing games. So one of the things that I really look for in my role play around a table is immersion. Uh, I got a lot of, I have a lot of immersion when I'm playing live action games. I wanted to kind of bring that around a table. So even when I was just running Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, you know, if we're going into a dungeon or something like that, I like to light candles around the table, turn the lights off, like have that sort of ambiance. And that kind of grew into an idea over time when I started learning about indie published role-playing games and these smaller, you know, quote, story games, uh, that style of design. And I thought, you know, that's something I could do. Absolutely. I started figuring out what games are out there, what sort of mechanics people were playing around with. And I had run games before where I really appreciated the ritual of, you know, lighting a candle at the start of the session and then blowing it out at the end of the session to sort of mark that time when we're in this space together telling stories. So that is where the idea for the candles originated. Uh, from there, it was an idea of just uh, ludonarrative consonants sort of reverberating through the design of what would be the best kind of story to tell by the light of a candle, and then what would be the best mechanics to inform that sort of story so that it all feels really hand-in-hand hand and just makes sense. Because when you're not being struck with dissonance between the rules and the story and things like that, it allows you to ease into just playing the game and being more immersed by the story that you're telling, which is what I really wanted to do. And that kind of a little bit independent of me <laughs> and my initial intentions turned into a deeply emotional game and a deeply evocative game. Um, but I couldn't be happier with how it turned out. Yeah, no, I haven't actually gotten the opportunity to play because it's not one of those that I feel like you can easily just like jump on a Zoom call and play, yeah. which has been limiting because I think that like, the idea that you put in that with the candles is just so amazing. Like chef's kiss to you on that. Um, because I think we have like those games like dread, right? Where right. you have that visual, um, aesthetic of like, you can kind of see the tension and it helps create like more of a tense moment. But with yours, it's like, okay, well, we've got these candles and once they're all extinguished, then like, that's, that's it. We're done. Yeah. And I really love that you included, like, even if like someone accidentally like, it, like takes out a candle or um, like it just kind of, it, it goes off on its own. Like 
that's just part of the game. You're just done with the time. So I thought that was a super cool idea. Yeah, Dread is possibly one of my favorite games. It's definitely my favorite survival horror game out there. Epidai Ravicol have boosted at cons together before. We'll have Dread and Ten Candles side by side. And when Ten Candles first came out, there was a lot of comparisons between the two. But the way that I always like to sort of uh, talk about it is Dread is the perfect survival horror game, right? When you're talking about that genre where survival is a possibility, you have the Jenga Tower. And if you think about the sort of narrative and emotional arc of a survival horror uh, movie that you might be watching, it is sort of mostly kind of on a flat line or maybe tension is slowly rising, but there are these spikes of fear, right? Where the, the music changes, the lighting changes, you're tense, you're waiting for the jump scare to happen, or it will come out of nowhere and hit you. And then as soon as it's gone, like there's a return to normalcy and you drop back down in terms of the tension. And the Jenga Tower does that perfectly, right? You have normal gameplay, but then eventually the music changes, the lighting changes, you need to make a pull from the Jenga Tower. And now everyone's terrified and holding their breath. But then eventually you just go back to business as normal and there's really not a lot of stress and fear during those intermediate parts, you know, beyond what you generate through the storytelling. Everything that I built into 10 Candles was really designed to not be a game about jump scares, right? It's not survival horror. It's this tragic horror. We know how it's going to end. And it's this slow, steady climb of anxiety and worry. It plays on different emotions than Dread does because it, it you're not going to be getting the same, like, satisfying payoff from those spikes in a game like this where you know everyone's going to die you know when it's going to happen none of that's a secret to you so instead you know having the lights below playing only by candlelight the more dice you lose or failures you have the less light you have people sort of naturally scoot in closer around the table so they can see the dice more clearly and it just the, the rules do a lot of work to manufacture that feeling of growing tension and anxiety so that anything the players and the, the storyteller put on top of that is just icing on the cake. Uh, the rules are like, we can handle most of it and then just add whatever you want on and you'll be good to go. But you get that slow, steady climb. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I just think that that visual is so um, helpful to have, like, just the, create that ambiance and create that, like, pull together and people can physically see, oh, we are down to one candle. Like, things are intense now. There's this um, magical thing that tea light candles do, and people who have played before will recognize this phenomenon, where most tea light candles, they'll get to a point like an hour and a half in where the wax turns transparent, right? So right at, at like only an hour in, suddenly you have no idea how much wax there is left in the candle. And it's this perfect moment of not knowing which candle to blow out because they all look like they're going to blow out. And because it is also so liquefied, even the gentlest nudge of the table, you're sending up these tiny waves of wax that threaten the precious flickering flame that you have. I, I couldn't, I, I didn't know they would be as perfect as they are, but the simplest, cheapest tea lights, they work perfect. Yeah, absolutely. It's a phenomenal idea. <laughs> um, did you originally start with the uh, recordings at the beginning or was that something that got baked in later the recordings are one of my happiest things i've ever made the, the, i love them so much 
they were in there basically, I think, from playtest game number two. Like, they were in there the very first time I ran it. A lot of things weren't solidified. It was the basic idea of a diminishing dipole mechanic with the can that matched the diminishing candles. That was sort of the first idea that I tested. It wasn't even tragic horror. Like, it was a survival game. The players, most of the players survived. Right? I like to say it was the only time people have escaped 10 candles. But then as early as game two, I, I knew that there were certain things that I wanted to add in. Um, the recording was really critical for a lot of reasons. Even though I, I got a little flat, even from some fellow game designers when I was first putting that idea out there, because it's gimmicky, right? It doesn't serve any mechanical purpose for the game. But what it does serve is an emotional purpose, like a really critical emotional purpose. It also allow well, it, an emotional purpose specifically at the end of the game, allowing you know the finale to, to be what it is. Um, but also at the beginning of the game, it's an incredibly useful tool because 10 Candles is a one-shot game. It only lasts for a few hours. The character creation process is pretty quick. So you aren't really getting deep into who these characters are. They have a name, they have a look, they you know have some goals and a couple traits, that's it. So what the recording does is rather than just starting the, the first scene completely raw with just you know the GM maybe narrating what's around and you know it's that awkward moment around the table where like who's going to talk first we're all awkward with new characters in a role-playing game the recording forces you to get out your first words as that character right away like we are just going to dive in you know if you do it in the traditional way where you're just passing a recorder around the table like you have to improv immediately what your character's voice is what what they care about what they're interested in what crystallized is the most important message that they have to give and that provides you with such a tremendous foundation for your character going in it gives you this great like jumping pad jumping off pad for okay i've already talked as them i've already crystallized their final message so now i find players jumped into that first scene so much more quickly and comfortably because we ripped the band-aid off basically and that's what you need to do to get the most value out of the game possible. So that was in from the very beginning to solve that initial problem of how to get players just going. Um, and it, we, I had the idea of playing those recordings at the end right away. Because at the time, I'm just like, hey, that'll be funny. <laughs> and it turned out to be incredible. Um, so it's worked out really well. Yeah, I think it's interesting because they start off with like all this hope, right? These are... This is like what I want to see, or this is my hope for the future, like um, kind of like breaking it down. I think that does a good, good job, like you said, of connecting someone to their character. Incredibly important in a one shot. You've got the candles burning already. So it's like, ah, hurry up, hurry up. I, I find it funny. I'm going to, I'm going to toot my own horn here a little bit. I, I always kind of find it funny because initially I had a designer come up and say, that's gimmicky. You should take that out. It's not really, it's not really helpful, but it has since gone on to, uh, be that specific mechanic has inspired um, Rob Davio when he was creating uh, Betrayal Legacy to put in some of the ritual like openings to your betrayal sessions and inspired Spencer Stark to include the exact same mechanic in Alice is Missing, which is a huge and incredible role-playing game that's out there. Both of those designers have told me that Ten Candles and the ritual components of it and like the recording were big you know uh inspirations to them when making those own projects and 
both of those projects are incredible. So, hey, I'll take that credit and wear it very proudly. You should absolutely take that credit. Uh, those are incredible games, and it's awesome that they're they're drawing inspiration there. But I also think, so I have an interesting perspective because I'm also, like, a therapist. So seeing, like, the emotional impact, I can just imagine how, like, seeing yourself as a hopeful person who thinks maybe I'll survive this and maybe I'll get through it. And then at the end, having gone through and seen that character to their demise and then watching their hopeful recording, like that, that sounds like a very big emotional pull anyways. Yeah, the, the secret, the, the worst kept secret about Ten Candles is that it's not actually a game about dying. It's a game about hope um, because that's the, the entire session is that, um, you know, the end of the session is the death of those characters. And that does happen and that's critical to the story. But. The, the reason that that does reverberate out in the message afterward, you want to start and end with that those moments of hope. That's the through line of the entire game. Is that what you hope people leave the table with? Yeah, I mean, I, Ten Candles, and I put it right sort of on the first page that these are unkind stories. The, the stories you're going to tell are going to dig in. They're going to leave claw marks in you for a little while. This is a game that has a lot of emotional bleed um, and you know any horror movie or story sort of by design has to have a certain level of bleed to carry across that fear to the players um, but what I have tended to find is that while the death of those characters uh, and the grisly end does sort of leave a mark uh, and you know sit with players sometimes for several days eventually the scales on that sort of peel away and the memories that they have and come up and excitedly tell me at my booth and uh, post about online are the moments of the hope that those characters had and that's really what resonates that's why people come back and keep playing it as opposed to just locking it away in a closet and forgetting about it uh, because they they really love that feeling of perseverance or at least that hope despite how we know it will end um, it's the brightness in those characters that they want to sort of carry forward. Yeah. Um, talking about bleed, what kind of safety tools exist in the system? Or do you think that safety tools need to be brought into the system when someone sits down to play? I think safety tools need to be used in every game ever forever. <laughs> uh, I There aren't uh, a lot of, there's, there's really no, well, I shouldn't say no mention of safety tools in the game. Um, when I first published Ten Candles, I, when I was working with a printer, I had sort of a very limited page count that I could work with. So when I was trying to fit everything in, and I was also a little uneducated about sa the safety tools at that time. Like this was back in 2015. Discussions were starting about it, but we don't have all the tools that we have nowadays. Uh, in more recent editions, though, I have added resources on my website, and I do have a link uh, mentioned in the rulebook to go and check, you know, go visit this page. It's got a bunch of safety tools to use, you know, X cards, script change, things like that. Uh, roses and thorns as like a debrief mechanic. All of these things that I like to use around my personal table. So I try to make those resources available on my website for all of my games. If 10 Candles ever sees a second edition, which it might, I intend to devote sort of a whole chapter to uh, safety tools because I really think there should be space for it. Um, it's really tricky sometimes in these tiny little games to be able to squeeze that in. Uh, but I've been sort of blessed with how successful 10 Candles has been. So I think people would be supportive of that generally. But yes, please use safety mechanics. Okay, you heard it here. Make sure you're keeping the safety tools in your games, especially yes. for games like 10 Candles. Critical. 
uh, games with bleed out just like it's it critically important like you said to have those safety tools in place because players can have a big psychological reaction to playing in something as moving as this game. One of the things that I always like to do is, you know, in, in the final moments after 10 Candles ends, I'll allow players to sort of sit in the darkness for as long as it seems appropriate and to just let it all sink in and to let that silence sort of wash over them. And then I snap on the lights and usually the only card, the only like index card character component that most players have left at that point is their concept card, right? It's got their character's name on it, what they look like, their age, their job, things like that. And I always start off debrief with like, let's tear those cards up, right? These characters are gone now. We are not these characters. And, you know, make help players with that transition because it's, it's really important so they can shake off the game and move forward and, and have conversations about it. Yeah, and this is definitely a game where I think having that debrief moment is really important. Like, um, talked about it with Bluebeard's Bride and having the ability to kind of like come back to reality and realize that like this was not the experience that I myself just went through. This is what my character exactly. went through. And that was a story that we told, not something that I had to persevere through. Right. So, yeah, I think that's super important. Um, do you have a like most memorable moment from the games from running them for so long? I think I remember less about specific moments from the games and more about the places and people I played with. Like I've had a lot of opportunities to play Tent Candles in pretty weird places, you know, abandoned buildings, places, you know, uh, like churches after midnight, like. I've heard a lot of stories from people as well that have gotten to play like camping outside with friends. Um, th those are the memories that really stick with me, I think. Okay, so not necessarily the specific story, but the people and places and emotions that go with them. There have been just so many stories, it's hard to keep track of them all. <laughs> That's fair, that is fair. Awesome, well, uh, what, where can people find you and what should we be looking for? Just give, give you a minute to like kind of plug yourself. Yeah, so, uh, you can find all my games at CavalryGames.com, C-A-V-A-L-R-Y. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at CavalryGames or my personal account at ShiftyGinger if you just want to see what I'm up to and follow some of my other endeavors and things like that. I do have a Patreon, which is sort of the best way to support me. It's just my last, my first and last name, Stephen Dewey, uh, on the Patreon website. So if you want to support me financially, that's a great place to do it. If you want to see some of my, like, sort of one-page RPGs that are out there or even get involved in some of my weirder projects, Patreon is really the one and only place to do it. There's even some, like, exclusive games I only put out on there. I'm, uh, I, it's been stagnant for a little bit, but I'm in a position right now where I'm about to get back onto Patreon in a really big way um, and start putting out content on there. So it's a great place to go if, you, if you're able, you know, even to throw a buck. Um, but yeah, I, I am also on Twitch, Stephen Dewey on Twitch, like I'm everywhere. Uh, so you can find me in a lot of places. Um, the next thing probably coming up for me, so I had a Kickstarter uh, that I ran technically pre-pandemic. So it was a while ago at this point um, that just due to a large number of life reasons has been postponed, postponed, postponed. Um, but it's called Gather Children of the Ever Tree. I'm hoping it will be out by PAX Unplugged next year. It is a um, card-based world-building game that's somewhere between a board game, a tabletop RPG, a live-action role-playing game, and a model UN. 
So if you're anywhere on that Venn diagram, this might be an incredible game for you. You should definitely keep an eye out. Awesome. And we'll definitely put the links to the to everything in our uh, podcast when we post. Um, if someone wants to stop by and say, hey, are you going to be at any other uh, conventions coming up? The next conventions that I will be at uh, will be PAX East next year. Um, and also, uh, if there are any Blood on the Clock Tower fans, I'll be at Clock Tower Con in DC uh, early next year as well. So you can find me there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us yeah, today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome.